Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. When we aren't afraid of death, we are less afraid of life. From these episodes, my goal is for all of us to take more risks, go after our dreams, have great fulfilling relationships, and perhaps a lot of fun in the process. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international bestseller, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And today on We Don't Die Radio, I have Jeffrey Olson. Jeff is a best-selling author and inspires audiences across the country with his intriguing personal story of perseverance and inner strength. In 1997, Jeff experienced a horrific automobile accident, which inflicted multiple life-threatening injuries, including crushing both of his legs. His left leg was amputated above the knee. The most devastating outcome of the accident was the loss of his wife and his youngest son. Who were both killed instantly. At that time, Jeff had profound experiences which deepened his spirituality and gave him insights and gifts not common in today's world. He found the courage to carry on, to heal, and to care for his living son, and eventually thrive in his career and community contributions. Jeff has since remarried and adopted two boys. Jeff is the author of I Knew Their Hearts, the amazing true story of Jeff Olson's journey beyond the veil to learn the silent language of the heart, and beyond mile marker 80, choosing joy after tragic loss. Jeff also has an audio CD, which I'm anxious to listen to, called At One, Personal Insights from a Journey Beyond the Veil. Jeff Olson's mission is to assist people in consciously embracing who they are and the connection they share with others and the universe. So that's why he's the perfect guest on our show today. Hello, Jeff. Welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Hello, Sandra. How are you? I'm great. I'm absolutely great and tickled pink that you're here. Um, I had mentioned this before we started, but at the end of many of my shows, um, after we stopped recording, I asked the guests, you know, who, who do you think I should have on? Jeffrey Olson was uh, almost unanimous. So um, here you are. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure. Yeah, and you're in Utah right now, correct? I'm in Utah. Yeah, I'm in the Rocky Mountains of Utah. Oh, how beautiful. And what's your day job? I didn't read that because I didn't understand it. <laughs> what I do in my day job is I, I, I work in advertising. I'm a creative director at uh, at a regional and national advertising agency known as Thomas Arts. Mm-hmm. And uh, at an executive level, I oversee all the creative content, creative development, everything from television spots to websites and banners. But uh, we have offices in New York, Washington, D.C., in Minneapolis, in Dallas, in Salt Lake City, and then also uh, near Los Angeles. So it's uh, it's a demanding day job, but I love it. I love what I do. Yeah, an award-winning business too. From some of the things yeah. I yes, I see here. So you're an extraordinary man. Well, let's cut right to the chase. And why don't you tell us your story and, if you don't mind, why you believe we don't die. I would love to, and and it starts, you know, way, way back. I mean, I'm going to give you a little history on myself just so you realize I'm a very 
ordinary person, really. I mean, I, I, you know, grew up in a small town in Utah. Mm -hmm. Um, My mother and father divorced when I was young. And, uh, you know, and that caused some insecurities in me. I was only four years old. And, you know, I mean, so everything I thought was, you know, true and right and forever, and it it just wasn't. You know, mom and dad uh, split up, and they were very kind. I mean, they, they, it was not an ugly divorce. They were very supportive. I shared time and had joint custody, and it it was, it was, um, it was the best of a situation. Mm -hmm. And yet it did cause some things in me that caused, um, insecurities and yet my mechanism to deal with that was to to overachieve actually i mean my my mother being a single mom and 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 going to work and having three boys i had uh two brothers i was smack dab in the middle and we were very very close i mean my older brother was like three years older than me my younger brother was only a year younger so in four years it was three boys and it was quite you know it was was quite a, a little group and so my mother put us in sports you know, athletics mm-hmm. to, uh, number one, because we loved it, but number two, I think it was a great babysitter. Why, why she could go to work, we would go to our sport games after school. Right. And uh, and then she could finish up and be there by the time practice was over. Uh, my my father uh, had a farm and a ranch, a, a dairy farm uh, up in a little town called Charleston, Utah, which is probably the prettiest place on earth. Oh, nice. Tucked, uh, tucked in right near Sundance on a lake and looking at Mount Tipinogos and mm-hmm. a, a beautiful place. And um, and we spent weekends with my dad and, and we're very close to the farm. And, uh, you know, between athletics and the farm, it kept us pretty much out of trouble, but we were rough and tumble kids. I mean, a lot of mischief and, you know, uh-huh. my brothers and I became best friends. And sure. we eventually uh, we eventually moved on to the farm full-time. I mean, my, my mother remarried, a wonderful guy, uh, very close to my stepfather. And uh, anyway, but in that process, you know, he had five kids, and my older brother, who had been the man of the house, you know, even at the young age of yes. eight, um, by the time we were in our teens, uh, he was um, a sophomore in high school when this all happened. But we ended up moving full-time with my dad on the farm, and just had a wonderful life up there. Uh, because of the athletic history and all that was going on, I ended up um, getting a football scholarship. I, I played Division One football at Utah State. Go Aggies! And, uh, <laughs> and uh, went to college and loved that. I mean, my, my younger brother joined me, and I was studying art. I'd always had an artistic <clears throat> notion. I mean, I drew, I sketched, I painted, and Although my first inclination was to be a fine artist, I found juggling fine art and a football scholarship, there was just not enough hours in a day. I mean, literally, I would, you know, I mean, between my uh, obligations to the scholarship and practice and, you know, team dinner and films and then weight room and, you know, all that went on that way. Um, I, I, I wouldn't get to paint till like 10 o'clock at night and I would paint until midnight, one o'clock and drop and then have to be back up at six to be in the weight room. And, oh my gosh. and it, yeah, uh, yeah it was, it was a lot, a little too much. Yes. Little, little, little bit uh, overwhelming, but I, I, I found a niche in, in graphic design and in advertising design and then coming up with ideas and quick sketches, which were a little more fluid and flowing and, and quicker timeframes than creating a painting, you know, but, um, but aside from all that, the most important thing I did in college um, was I fell madly head over heels in love 
Hmm. And uh, it was an interesting experience because I was a young man. I was 21 years old. And this young lady walked into the room, and it absolutely overwhelmed me. I didn't know her. I'd never met her. I did not know her name. And yet when she came in, it absolutely hit me, just flooded me with, wow, there's your wife. Now, I, you know, I mean, I've, I've heard of love at first sight, and I believe in that, but this was, this was something much deeper. It was almost like a remembering of, oh, my goodness. And it, 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 it frightened me as a young man. What do I do with that? You know, yeah, I mean, it, sure. It, it, it was that inner knowing. I, I call it the voice that speaks to the heart. And, um, you know, from there, that turned into a, a, a dating relationship, which turned into a courtship. Mm-hmm. And in the matter of a couple of years, um, we, we were husband and wife. And, and giddy, happy, blissfully, joyfully taking on life. She had graduated and was a school teacher. She was teaching high school. I pursued a career in advertising and was, you know, taking on my first jobs and doing exciting things. I was launching the Intel Inside campaign and, you know, doing big things in that realm. Right. But, uh, you know, in in the process of that, we we had a child, Spencer, my first son. And he came into the world in in a beautiful way, and he was just a great kid. I mean, he was an easy baby. You know, he slept through the night and uh, was really a joy in, in, in our life. And we thought, gosh, this is pretty good. Let's, let's have more. You know? sure. and so we, we embarked on, on number two, which was quite a process. Uh, my wife, whose name was Tamara, mm-hmm. she had um, had some complications in the pregnancy. It had caused some endometriosis and things like that. And without going into all the details, getting pregnant again was not a, a simple or easy mm-hmm. possibility. Right. But uh, in the process of um, a six-year time frame, we finally got number two. And, uh, and Griffin, my, uh, my youngest son, came into the world. And he was, as much as Spencer was an easy baby, <laughs> Griffin was a handful. <laughs> you know, he oh. was crying all night. <laughs> he was into everything and would keep me up, you know. And, 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 sure. and yet it was, you know, he was a joy, too. But, boy, he was as full of mischief as I was. Yes, I mean, yes. my, my wife used to laugh and say, you know, Spencer's a really good mix of both of us. But, boy, Griffin is a mini-you. I mean, he just, he just um, you know, it, he, he, if he wasn't looking for trouble, it was looking for him. Right. And, uh, and that's kind of the way, uh, the way it went. But we had this beautiful <laughs> little family. Yes. And, um, Sounds like the but, perfect family and the perfect job. And she had her job teaching and yeah 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 life life was life going was really well you know it wasn't without its challenges of course, and, you know and, and, we're human. And, and things are yeah everything was was quite normal but i knew i was very lucky i i we knew we were very lucky and by this time spencer was seven and griffin was at 14 months old he was toddling about and it was uh it was coming up uh, on easter time and uh, Tamara wanted to go to southern Utah, which is beautiful. You know, the red rocks and rock formations and oh, everything yeah. you see. Oh, gorgeous. Everything you see about Utah. We, we were going to go down there and visit her, uh, her parents and her grandparents. Her father had gotten Alzheimer's disease, and he was fading fast. And it was, mm-hmm. it was kind of that phone call from her folks that said, hey, you may want to come down. You know, Grandpa's not doing well. And uh, we don't know, you know, how long he may be here. We, we kind of knew it may be our last visit to see him. Right. But we packed up the car on an Easter uh, weekend, you know, left Friday night, drove down to St. George, which was about four and a half hours away from where we live. 
And we had a beautiful visit with Grandpa. Even with the Alzheimer's, he had a great day. He remembered us. He remembered the grandkids. You know, we had this That's lovely nice. visit with him. And and her folks had actually gotten a condominium nearby to, to look after him, you know, to be there with him. And uh, so we went to their condominium to stay. They had extra bedrooms. You know, we um, just had a wonderful time. Dyed the Easter eggs, you know, created little baskets for the kids. All the typical fun Easter uh, all stuff. All the typical stuff, yeah. It, I mean, it was just a beautiful family outing. And uh, I, I recall being up late, you know, Saturday night, and I, I hid the baskets up in the trees because, you know, Spencer by that time, he, he, I didn't want him to find them easy. You know, right. so I thought, well, I'm going to make it a bit of a challenge for him. And, uh, you funny. know, of course, e- Easter morning came and the kids were up and, and Griffin, my little toddler, was, you know, he was wandering about the yard finding the colored eggs and, and calling them balls. You know, he was just <laughs> toddling about. And, and, you know, it's an interesting, you know, he's falling down and trying to learn to walk and leaning on things and getting around. But he was finding these, these eggs and they were balls and he would bring me the ball. Here's the ball, you know. And, uh, of course, Spencer was running, you know, found the baskets and the trees, and he was ecstatic with all that. But just it, it, was, it was a beautiful weekend. Mm-hmm. And Sunday night rolled around, and, gosh, we decided we, we wouldn't go home. We'd stay Monday. I would call the guys at work and let them know I would be late. And anyway, Monday rolled around, and we had breakfast. And it was just, you know, it was it was one of those perfect little weekends. And, and uh, we finally, you know, got everybody in the car. I mean, I, I, I finally said, look, I really got to get and you know we hugged we said goodbye we put everyone in the car i buckled everybody up and just as i was putting the car in drive to pull away uh tamra my wife said wait wait a minute hold on a second i just want to say goodbye to mom and dad one more time now at that point i'm thinking women you know we we hugged we we just did that yes yeah do we really need to do this but the, the reason i bring this up is Never ignore those whispers. You know, given the events of that day, which I will cover shortly, mm-hmm. she said, I just want to go say goodbye to Mom and Dad one more time. And I, I watched as she unbuckled, and she ran up to the porch. And, of course, there's Grandma and Grandpa, you know, waiting. And and she, she hugged and kissed her Mom and Dad. Now, that wasn't uncommon, but she would typically hug them. But I watched and noticed that she actually hugged them and kissed them. And then she ran back and hopped in the car, and we were ready to go. Now, you know, I was all about getting back to work. I was yes. going to be a day behind. There was a million things going on. And I put the car in drive, and away we went up I-15. You know, I set the cruise control on 75, which is as fast as I could legally go. And, right. and I was all about getting back. And all that chatter in my head about, okay, you got this thing to do. you got to call that guy. You better arrange this. And you, you know, you get that you get that to do list, you know, oh, running always. through your head and, and yeah, it's it's life. So I'm racing up the highway, making the best time that I can, listening to all that chatter, and I happened to just look in the rearview mirror. And when I did I saw Griffin, my, my toddler in his car seat, and he had fallen sound asleep. But for whatever reason I, I just I felt him. I thought, Wow, look look at him and I had this overwhelming sense of of, um, of his essence. I mean, I noticed things like how long his eyelashes were, and and how his hands kind of sat, you know, resting on the car seats mm-hmm. uh, in front of him there as he as he slept. And I thought, what a joy! You know, what an absolute gift to have him. 
in our lives. And then I, I glanced behind me where Spencer was sitting, my seven-year-old, and he's he, he was playing with the Star Wars toys he had gotten in his Easter basket. Yeah, of course. You know, and was having the grandest, you know, the grandest lightsaber battle of the universe and all the sound effects, and I, and I felt him. And I thought, what a beautiful, beautiful child. I mean, he was easy as a baby. He's been easy as a, as a boy. And, and um, I thought, what a blessing. I mean, what, what an absolute joy. And, and, and then I noticed my wife, who had actually reclined her seat, and she had fallen sound asleep, except she was still holding onto my right hand. That's she was sweet. holding my right hand. I was driving with the left and I felt her, and I thought, what did I ever do to deserve her? I mean, she'd been such a light in my life, you know. I mean, she'd come to me in such a profound way and had always just been this anchor. And not only did she wrangle the boys, she had wrangled me, and she wrangled her career, and she was just one of those outstanding people. You know, I used to I, – I read something once that, that, that said something to the effect of, she stood there doing nothing except holding the entire universe together. <laughs> and, and I thought... That's a great thing. Yeah, but, but, but I felt her. Yes. And I, I just thought, what did I ever do to deserve her in my life? What a, what a gift. And I, I guess what I'm getting at, it was, just, it was this profound moment of gratitude, a, a sacred moment of gratitude of like, look how lucky I, I am. Look, look what's come into my life and, you know, and all that beauty and that intense gratitude, of course, you know, my attention went back to the road and yes, of course. continued up the highway. Now, about an hour after that, and I, I don't know for sure what happened, there was reports of heavy crosswinds, you know, over 110 miles an hour. Wow. There was reports of a red pickup truck that had been driving erratically and cutting people off. Um the hardest part about the story is I, I literally feel like I may have dozed off at the will. I think I may have just, you know, when you just nod off yeah, and, and, sure. and, and at any, at any way I, I, I veered to the right, I overcorrected to the left. And at that point the car began to roll, not, uh, not off the road, but down the road at mm -hmm. 75 miles an hour. It was a horrific accident. Um, the police reports, estimate the car probably rolled no less than seven or eight times and uh, I blacked out for most of that but when the car came to a stop and I was fully conscious of what had happened um, the first thing I heard was my seven-year-old crying in the back seat now that was uh, a relief to me he was hurt I, but he was crying he was okay right. and, and and I wanted to get to him I, I thought I've got to, I've got to get to him, and I went to move, but that's when I I couldn't move. I, I I could not move. Now I was pinned, either to the seat or the floorboard. I could not tell. Um, I was not aware of it at the time, but both of my legs were crushed and shattered. Um, the left one was eventually amputated above the knee. Wow. My back had been broken. Um, my rib cage was crushed, and my lungs were collapsing. Oh my goodness. Uh, my right arm had been nearly torn off. There was no muscles to the rotator cuff or anything holding it in there, and it had been lacerated very severely underneath it. Um, 
the seatbelt had cut through my midsection and had ruptured all my intestines. It had cut through my hip. Oh my gosh! It had actually, um, it had actually, it, it had exposed my femoral artery, but mm. by some miracle, didn't sever it. Even though my two two vertebrae were broken, the spinal column was not damaged. But at this point, I literally couldn't move. I couldn't see. I knew that my breathing, I, I couldn't breathe. But I wanted to get to my son. Of I course. wanted to get to my son who was who was crying. And that's when their brutal reality hit me that no one else was crying. I, I couldn't right. hear the baby. And that's when I realized that not only was the baby gone, but, but Tamara was gone. I knew in that moment that they had been killed instantly in the accident. It was, it was beyond devastating. There are no oh, words. Um, it's it's the worst hell a man could ever be in. I've got a crying child. I can't move. Right. Half the family's gone, and I was driving the car. And um, the guilt and the regret. And in fact, I, I was losing consciousness. I was losing my breath, and I was barely able to speak. And the last thing I recall saying to Spencer, my son in the back seat, who was hysterical, mm-hmm. um, I said, it's going to be okay. And yet, I thought, great, my last words to my son are a lie because it's not okay. Um, it's ju- it just wasn't okay. But that's in the that, dad uh, in you. That is the yeah. dad in you. Yeah. And uh, in that absolute mayhem, the, the strangest thing happened. I, I began to have a sense of calmness. You know, it, was, it was strange. It was almost as if I just felt light around me. I almost felt as if I just raised above the scene of the accident. Now, I had read about tunnels of light and things like that, but this was as simple as stepping from one room to the next. It was almost like I just stepped into a different realm. Um, But I I felt that rising sensation. I felt this calmness and comfort in the absolute horror of what had taken place. And I seem to be surrounded by a bubble of light. That's the only way to explain it. It's, it's as if I was being held in a bubble of light, and in that light was a tangible peace. There was a comfort. There was a, a, a love, an unconditional love. And I began to realize, am I okay? Am, I'm, I'm really okay. And, and as I became aware that I, 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 it's like I, I'm, I'm okay, I realized my wife, who I knew was deceased, I knew she was gone at the scene of the accident. I realized she was there with me. She was right there with me, and she was okay too, except she was emphatic about, you. oh, no, no, you can't stay here. You've got to go back. You've got to go back. In fact, she was, she was upset. Even in all that peace and love, she was, she was crying and, and, and almost hitting my chest saying, no, 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 you've got to go back. And that was um, that was an interesting moment. I learned a lot about choice in that moment. I learned a lot about the sacredness of a moment. Because here I was looking at the woman I loved more than life, and yet I knew I had a son crying in the backseat of that car that would be orphaned if I didn't go back. Wow. And it was a profound exchange. And I knew I had to go back, and yet here she was upset, 
I wanted to stay with her. I, 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 you know, but in, in my heart of hearts, I knew I've got to go back. And yet, as soon as I made that choice, as soon as I made the conscious choice, I've, I've got to go back, boom, I, I found myself wandering through a hospital. Now, this, this is strange. I mean, mm-hmm. in this bubble of light, this profound goodbye, and now I'm wandering through a hospital. Now, I have no sense of time in any of this. What, what I later found out is that people arrived at the scene of the accident, one of which was a doctor who had oxygen in, in, in a trailer. He, he was able to do some emergency procedures on me. He saw a dispenser. He was able to take care of the bodies of my deceased loved ones wow. in a professional way. They rushed Spencer and I to a local hospital. Spencer was not badly hurt. He had broken his wrist, and he had banged up his ribs pretty good, but he was okay, physically okay. Emotionally, he had never lost consciousness. He had witnessed what he felt was the whole family killed. He thought he was orphaned. I was not in good shape. Um, at that hospital, they knew they could do nothing for me and immediately life-lighted both of us, as to not separate him from me, into Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. I, I knew nothing of that. I I knew we'd had the accident. I had this profound goodbye, and then I'm wandering through a hospital. And the hospital was a normal, I mean, you know, patients, doctors, families, right. nurses, I mean, anything from a trauma ER setting, and yet everyone I saw, everyone I encountered, I knew them. I knew them perfectly. I mean, it wasn't that I, 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 they were strangers to me in this realm, but being out of the body, I had this profound sense of connection to them. I, I, I knew everything about them. Amazing. I knew their love. I knew their hate. I knew their motivations for everything they'd ever done. I, I knew their hearts. That That's where the title of the book comes from. I, I knew them in such a connected way they were me and I was them and we were we were one we were connected I knew I knew them and I had this overwhelming sense of love for them absolute unconditional love I mean all of them from the heroin addict over here to the (laughs) saintly grandma over here and they I, I viewed them is absolutely perfect. I, I I I loved them like they were a brother or a sister with with no judgment. It was unconditional love, and I and I knew in that moment. I mean, it was almost as if it was given me. This is how God sees us. This is what you know. I call God sees us, mm-hmm. and this profound sense of connectedness and love. And I I was basking in that, and yet still dealing with what had gone on, and. I finally came to a man laying on a bed that I didn't feel anything from. I thought, well, this is weird. I feel nothing uh, about him. And so I stepped closer to look. And that's when I realized it was me or or it was my body. I was looking at my body. body. Yeah, me. I was here. I was fine. I was experiencing all this overwhelming love. And yet there was me. There was there was the the broken down, and it and, and I had a profound sense of sadness when I looked and realized and thought, oh my goodness, look how broken, look how <clears throat> devastated my body is. But I knew I had to get back in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew I had to get back in. Now, it was interesting because as quick as a thought, I mean, even even when I made the choice to leave Cameron to come back, as as soon as I consciously decided that's what I'm doing, boom, it would happen, you know, and I, I'm there looking at my body with this profound sense of sadness and, and 
trepidation about getting back in, but as soon as I made the conscious thought, mm-hmm. boom, I was back in the body. Now, then all the pain, all the regret, all the guilt, all the horror, all the guilt, you know, everything returned. Um, I was ventilated. They'd put a ventilator in because of my lungs. Right. Uh, obviously, my legs were immobile. They'd both been shattered and crushed. My right arm was immobile. They eventually tied down my left arm because I kept trying to grab at all the tubes and everything mm-hmm. that were in. And uh, I learned a whole new meaning of the term be still. Be still and know. I, I had no choice. I could not talk. I could not move. And it was a painful, painful process, except there were strange things going on. I seemed to have one foot in this realm, which uh-huh. was absolutely horrific, right. and one foot in the other realm, which was absolutely enlightening. And I, I continued to have these conversations with my deceased wife. Now, it was it was odd because she was letting me know personal things. I mean, it, it, it might sound trivial, but to her, she wanted... She wanted her favorite ring to go to her niece, and she wanted her fancy party dresses to go to her sister-in-law, and she wanted to be buried with the baby in her arms. She wanted her and Griffin in the same coffin together. She wanted to be buried near our home so that Spencer could have a place to come and and, and feel close to mom. I mean, we were were having these conversations as if she were here, but she was there. Now... It, it, there's an interesting scenario here because the family was in absolute mayhem. I mean, sure, you can imagine. They were telling the family that I probably wasn't going to make it. Right. In fact, on several occasions, they said, we don't, we, the odds are not good. The, the doctors said, we've never seen anyone with your injuries alive, let alone survive them. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd lost Tamara and Griffin already, and her family was obviously devastated, as was mine. I mean, we were very close, all of us. They wanted to. They had a burial plot down in southern Utah, near where they were staying, in a, in a little town called Escalante, and they wanted to bury them down there in the family plot. But my family was saying, if we lose Jeff, shouldn't we bury them together? And we don't know that we want him to go down in southern Utah. I mean, right. the families were kind, but you can imagine that the planning and the turmoil and the grief and the bereavement and all that was going on, and they were trying to decide what to do and 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 yet the interesting thing and it's almost funny but there was an insurance problem <laughs> they they had lifelighted <laughs> me to a hospital that wasn't in my insurance network oh and and yet i was in no condition to be transferred sure. i mean my 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 older brother who had become a, a law enforcement officer and a trained emt he's like you cannot transfer this guy there's no way and my younger brother who had become an attorney and we we were very close he, I mean, he was like going to sue everybody. It's like you can't, you cannot, you know, you can't, no, you can't do this. Um, the insurance company won out, and uh, the ambulance crew came, and the ambulance crew refused to move me. We will not take the liability. We're not transferring this patient. Well, wow. They brought a life flight crew in to move me two miles from LDS Hospital in Salt Lake to University Hospital. Jeez. All about insurance. Oh, my goodness. The insurance thing. But here's the beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. In the process of transferring me, they did take out the ventilator. Okay. Briefly. And although I could not talk well, I was able to eke out what I was experiencing. I'm having these conversations with Tamara. Here's what she wants. And I was able to share with my family what we wanted. 
what we had decided about the burial, about what was going to take place. We, I even shared a little song that we had decided to sing at the service, and and the family honored it. Now, the point in sharing this is it's funny. We often think our lives are falling apart. I mean, you know, when in reality the whole insurance issue was causing things to fall into place. Had that not come up, I would have never been able to share what I was experiencing, what I was feeling. And, Amazing uh, how that happens. Yeah, so the family then knew what to do, and they honored it, and I can talk about that later, but it was very critical to have a place where Spencer could come and yes. and where I could come. But I, 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 spent, I spent almost six months in the hospital. I was in ICU for over three months. Um, I had 18 surgeries as they wow. mended me and put me back together. I kept throwing pulmonary ambulisms, you know, the blood clots that lodge in your lungs. I had terrible pneumonias. The infections were probably what nearly killed me because of the rupturing of all my intestines and all the open wounds. And it just, I, w- I was an absolute mess and really should not be here. But I began to heal. And I learned a lot laying there, being still, you know, dealing with it all. I mean, I couldn't go for a run. I couldn't go punch a bag. I couldn't. couldn't I literally had to just, yeah, just just be be there. And, um, you know, and I asked a lot of why questions. Why me? Why this? Why both of them? Why the leg cut off? Why the loss of my, you know, full use of my right arm? Why, why, why? But some shifts began to happen. I, I had profound dreams, I had things happen, and I began to shift the why questions to the what. You know, what What am I learning from this? What am I getting in touch with? What am I realizing? Number one, that I'm not my body, that I was something far more refined than that. And number two, that, that everything's a choice. I mean, we get to choose. And as I was going through this process, the most profound thing that happened was actually at the end of my hospital stay. Now, oddly enough, it was they had performed the last surgery. I had moved from ICU. I had gone to the surgical unit. I was through surgical recovery. I was actually in the rehabilitation unit. Mm-hmm. I was off of all the heavy drugs. I, I was simply taking some Tylenol for, for the shoulder. And I went into this profound, deep sleep one night. And I, I'm cutting to the chase for time purposes, but I mean, I had been laying on my back so long, and I was finally able to sleep on my side. In fact, the back of my head had been rubbed bald because oh. I'd laid on my back so long. Wow. But at this point, the injuries in my midsection, and they were still left open. The infection was so bad, they were packing them and doing all kinds of things. But I was finally at a state where I could lay on my side. And my younger brother was with me that night, and uh, and my brothers. I, I must, I mean, they nearly lost their jobs to just be with me and just look out for me and hold my hand while I'd fall apart every other day, you know. Sure. Um, but I went into this profound, deep sleep, and and in this sleep, I felt that same sensation, that rise, that moving from this realm to that realm, like walking through a doorway, and it was so familiar. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm there again. I feel it. I feel home. The, the only word I can use, that it was home. It was familiar. It's like I was returning. It's like I had been there. I was welcome. I, I knew it. I, it was part of me, and and I was so joyful. And, and yet, it, it, at this point, it didn't feel like a bubble of light. It felt like an, a, a vast expanse. I was... 
I was home. In fact, I was joyfully running. And, you know, having been a Division One athlete and then knowing I was going to be crippled the rest of my life, I, you know, but in this realm, I was You're running. Free. and I was, right. Yeah. And I was feeling, I mean, I was feeling things in such a physical way. I could feel the ground under my feet and my toes and everything was super sensory, you know, and, and I was joyfully moving through and yet intuitively I knew I'm only here for a moment. I, I, I knew that somehow. But as I ran about just so happy to be home, I saw this corridor off to the left-hand side, and I knew intuitively that I was go down that corridor, and I did. I, I started moving down the corridor, and as I moved down it, at the end of the corridor was a crib, and I rushed to the crib, and I looked in the crib, and there was my little griffin sleeping as soundly and as peacefully as he had been when I looked in the rearview mirror just before the end. And I swept him up in my arms and I held him and I could feel him. I, I was I was blown away at how I could feel. I could feel he was solid against my chest. I could feel his, the warmth of his body. I could feel his breaths. I could feel him breathing on my neck. I could feel his soft head on my cheek and I wow. just held him weeping knowing he's okay. What a gift. And, and, oh my gosh. Yeah, and, and, and marveling that oh my gosh, I, how how am I feeling at such a level? I mean, it was it was that that was real. I mean since that this life is the crazy, foggy, you know, misty dream. That that That's was real. reality. In fact I it was almost like I could feel the light and the life in every cell of his being, and it began to meld. I felt the life and the light in my own being, and we began to just meld together, and I realized the love that I had for this little boy, and, and I was just so thankful. In fact, I was weeping, just holding him and loving him. And as I did that, I felt the presence come up behind me, and what I felt was so powerful and so wise and so all-knowing. In fact, it overwhelmed me. I, I did not dare turn around. It actually startled me. But then I began to feel how absolutely loving and personal it was. And as I stood there holding my little boy weeping, I, I felt these divine loving arms wrap around me. And then this download came. I mean, as I, as I was embraced, it's almost like we all melded into one, and then everything went away, and I was part of all of it, all there is. Wow. And I saw my life. You know, I, I, I saw the divorce. I saw my insecurities. I saw what I had done to cover it up. I saw what I thought were mistakes. And yet, in those loving arms, I realized there was no mistakes. I was only here to learn. It was beautiful. I, I saw the things I had done wrong, and I knew they were wrong, and I did them anyway. You know? yeah, I mean, yes, I know how those things go. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and in this realm, all I felt was, look how much we love you. Look how much we support you. Look how we honor your life, your choice. And as I stood there holding my perfect little child, I realized in those arms that I was perfect. And that's been difficult for me to say, but I knew I was perfect. In fact, I knew that I was divine. I knew that I was part of that. And 
you know, if I am, I promise you, everyone is. Just we the all way are. we I, are and just the way we are. Just the way we are. There was nothing to be. In fact, I had, I had grown up in a good Christian home, mm-hmm. and, and I was afraid of God, and I thought he'll judge me. And I'm probably in trouble based on the way things have gone. <laughs> and, and I thought also that I had something to prove, but he's proving me. In fact, I used to think that God did these things to us. He did this to me to see how I would act, to see if I would pass the test, to see if he could prove me worthy or, or, or of worth right. in some way. And yet right. I, I, my experience trumped all of it. There was no judgment absolutely no judgment. The the love I felt was absolutely unconditional. In fact, I realized as I watched my life that I was the only one placing judgment. They didn't. They simply loved me perfectly and honored me. And as I watched this all play out, I realized a very profound thing, and that is I had created it. I had created my life. They were simply allowing it. I had created the life that would teach me exactly what I came here to learn. And and the profound events, good, bad, joyful, sweet, painful, were all a part of what my higher consciousness had created for me and was supported by the entire universe. Wow. In fact, I, I, I felt as if it was that. It's like the entire universe is supporting my little life. Mm-hmm so that I could learn what I came here to learn. And and I also learned a lot about our origins. I mean, you know, growing up in a Christian home, I'd read biblical verses. You know, I I, I had heard this great master, Jesus, say interesting things like, like, be ye therefore perfect, which used to scare me. Mm -hmm. And yet I realized he wasn't saying become it. He was saying embrace who you are. Right. You know, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither spin nor toil, and yet Solomon in all of his glory is not arrayed like one of them. These words that had been in my home all of a sudden became real and had a much deeper, profound meaning. In fact, I recall reading in the Bible when he would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But what what he was telling us is of our divinity. Don't you know that we are part of that? I am that I am. And and, and, I, and this divinity just flowed through me, thinking, wow, I'm really part of that. And I also learned about choice. In fact, and, and very few words were spoken. This was all just flowing through energy and knowledge to me. But as I stood there in those loving arms, I was given a choice. And I was told, you can feel like a victim. Mm-hmm. You can feel picked on. You can feel put upon. You can feel as if I ripped your family away from you. Right. Or in this divine moment, you can make a choice. And this was the choice. I will allow you to give your son to me. And therefore, no one will ever take him again. You will exercise your will, your free will and choice in giving him to me so that you don't feel like he's taken. And that was a gift. It was a beautiful gift. And in that perfect, perfect space, I was actually able to kiss my little boy and give him back. Wow. And and then I woke up in the hospital bed again, back to the pain, back to the crippledness, back to the broken shoulder, back to, you know, but with a little bit different perspective. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's times I've thought, why didn't I just hold on and never go away, you know? Of course. 
and and you know people misunderstand the story many times they think well gosh you know you had a horrific accident and then beautiful spiritual experiences and then you were okay no I had a horrific accident. I had beautiful spiritual experiences, and then it took me 12 years to ever make sense of it. Yeah. You know, to ever to ever process it. I mean, I I cried I cried for a year. You know, even with all that had happened, I just I was broken. I would think it would and, be longer than that. I mean, that is devastating. Oh yeah. No matter and, what we and, believe, and no matter what you saw human beings you know we we grieve and the more you love the more it hurts is what i've come to believe yeah yeah and and and, you know i I eventually returned home and and i want to share this quickly because this was Mm -hmm. a profound breakthrough for me as i was coming home and and my brothers are still having to lift me into the wheelchair and and i you know my left leg's cut off and my right one's still in a big brace and my right shoulder's bound up and all i could do is drive an electric wheelchair you know and I, I'm going up the ramp, and, and here's Spencer, my seven-year-old, who's been staying with my brother looking out the window. And my brothers had built a ramp so I could get in the house. And he had seen me in the hospital. I mean, he would come visit in the hospital, but I became very worried about him. It's like, how is he going to accept this? Now we have to go to the grocery store. And his dad looks like a monster. And the, the rough-and-tumble father that would pick him up and throw him in the air and tickle him up the stairs. And, right. you know, now I'm in a wheelchair, and I can't even move well. And how's he going to be with this? And as I'm making my way up to the porch, he came bounding out the door and he ran toward me, but he ran right past me. And I thought it's too much. He can't, he can't take it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I thought, that's okay. That's why I had the premonition. I'm sure this is going to take some time. And I, I made my way up the door to the door. And, and as I turned, I realized what he had actually done is he'd run across the street and he was knocking on all the neighbor's doors and he was saying, come out, come out. My dad's made it home. you got to oh, come see my dad. how sweet. And he wasn't ashamed. You know, I was. But he was very proud that I had made it home. Yeah. And he eventually, you know, he ran back and he jumped on my lap, which just about killed me because I still had all the structures <laughs> down, you know, down my midsection. And, he, and, and here's the point. He wrapped his arms around my neck and I wrapped my arms around him and we were crying and we were celebrating the fact that I was back home and we were together and I was actually going to heal from this. And the profound insight was this, that holding my living son in this realm was no less divine or profound than holding my deceased son in that realm. In -hmm. fact, I realized that heaven is right here if we choose it and experience it that way. And that was a big deal. That's a huge deal. A big deal. But life moved on. I, I have remarried, and we don't have time to get into that, but there was miracle can, after miracle. I don't know what your time is like, but I, I, um, I'm okay if we go a little longer. So okay. I know you have a busy day today, but feel free. If there's something important you want to share, let's not skip it. Um, well, okay. I'll, I'm leaving it up to you because I, I know we spoke really at the um, beginning before we started that I definitely we want to hear your story but also you've got some really mega nuggets of gold of how to live life and and choice and being in the present moment and um so you just go wherever you need to go (laughs) okay okay? well and I've got I've got to honor my my current wife and Mm -hmm. and that was a difficult thing I, I I wasn't dating I was bereaved I mean I I had finally made it back to work I'd been 
fitted with a prosthetic limb. I was learning to walk again, and I, I dealt with that. You know, for Spencer, I could say, well, they're going to get me a cool Darth Vader robot leg, and, right. you know, and, I'll, <laughs> and I'll learn to walk. And, and he was a trooper, and he supported me and, and assisted me around the house. But I, I, I did bring a nanny in, and I had a housekeeper, and I was back at work, and we were living our life. But what no one knew was I was literally, you know, I'd fall apart every night. In fact, I, I would... I, I couldn't even go in the bedroom. I would I would sleep in the recliner downstairs. Number one, it was difficult to get up the stairs, but I was so lonely and I was still so bereaved. And and you know, in in this process, in a, in a strange roundabout way, I met Tanya, my current wife. Now it was a work thing. I, I wasn't dating. I wasn't looking. I was mm-hmm. lonely and heartbroken. But going back to the first part of my story, I was Tanya came walking in the room and. Bam! I had that same overwhelming feeling as the time I'd met my first wife. And and what I thought in the moment was, I uh, actually, I thought, I really need to see a psychiatrist. <laughs> I thought, I'm, I must be really sick. I mean, it's, you know, that's, uh, it, 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 it was like, this This can't be. I can't really be feeling this. Mm-hmm. Not not again, and not, I, 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 in the moment of that, I thought, I really need to call someone immediately. I mean, and, and, and you know, year and, and, and more had gone by and, and yet I had this overwhelming feeling now the serendipity of life is strange because here it was a work setting it was like a little conference you know presentation thing and everybody takes their seat and then they serve lunch and and Tanya was actually presenting and as she came down to eat lunch there was only one seat left in the entire room and it was across the table for me <laughs> And she sits down, and I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm having these overwhelming feelings, thinking I've, I know I've lost my mind. But we have this strange conversation, and, and you know, small talk really. Uh, and, and and you know, she's just moved to Utah, and she's telling me I, I find Utah a very strange place. <laughs> it's it's a, you either have to be in the church or the bar to meet someone. And she said I'm really not comfortable either place. And Funny. you know, we're, we're just, we're, you know, we're, we're having this conversation, and I'm having these overwhelming feelings. And I'm thinking, I really got to get out of here. This is stupid. I, I, I need to see a shrink, and I'm probably broken to the core and don't realize it. And you know, got through the luncheon and all, but in the in the process of that, we had exchanged cards, and 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 her card just haunted me. And I knew that I was going to call her. Mm-hmm. And and the miracle of the whole story is that I actually did at one point pick up the phone and say, hey. Here's the deal. I know you don't like it here. In fact, she had also announced at that luncheon that she was moving to Arizona. She was here for a very short time, and she had actually been offered a job uh, down in in, in uh, Phoenix, and she was going to take that job. Well, in the process, I called her up. We ended up having dinner as a friend. It's like, hey, I, if Utah's weird, I'm a safe guy. I, you know, yes. I, I, yep. I have no intentions. We can sit and have dinner, and you'll go to Phoenix and. I thought at least I can have an adult conversation, you know. But as we went on this first date, now, and this is weird, I'm, I'm sitting there again across from her at dinner, and I'm having these overwhelming feelings of unconditional love, very much like what, what I was experiencing when I was wandering the hospital out of the body. And again, I'm thinking, okay, I've lost it, you know, and, and I'm, I, we, we, we got through the dinner, you know, barely, because I'm, I'm almost emotional on what I'm feeling, you know. Yeah. But I went home. I crashed on the bed. I, I sobbed out. I'm, I'm screaming at what I call God, saying, you've got to help me. I've lost my mind. I, 
I sat at dinner with this woman and had these overwhelming feelings of love and and that little whisper came and said, it's not your feelings you're feeling, it's my feelings you're feeling. And then it made sense. I'm like, oh my goodness, no wonder it was so overwhelming. And, you know, I got in touch with that, but, you know, this friendship turned into a relationship. I started to develop feelings of my own, and then that was difficult. I mean, I found myself on the graveside of my deceased wife, bawling, saying, I don't know what to do. I'm having feelings for another woman, and I just, I was, you know, I, I would do that. I'd go down and lay on the grave and talk to her, you know? Sure. And yet she would talk back. I mean, she would tell me, and she let me know in a very, very powerful way. She said, of course you are. Why do you think you had the deja vu? Do you not know that I'm, 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 I'm sending that to you? I want you to be happy. Very sweet. I want you to move on. I, I In fact, what, what, what was communicated is that I can't move on and be happy even in this realm until you do. And um, That's amazing. And, How yeah, long have so. you been married to Tanya? Tanya and I are going on 14 years. The accident was 16 years ago, wow. going on 17 years ago this March. And so I was only, I mean, I was only single for a couple of years. Um, I'm kind of uh, jealous that you found two loves in your life. And here I am 48 and I'm, would love to have one of those experiences, it, but if it's meant to be, it'll happen. I have faith. But how do? And, and, it, and it will. Yeah. It will. It will. It, it, and that's the funny thing. Our lives are perfect. Our lives are, are perfect as they are, even though they don't look like each other. You know. Yeah, and I, I find too personally when I'm out and I'm doing what I love, I shine. I'm radiant, and um, I'm sure that's what will happen when I'm out speaking or doing something. I'm not. Who knows? Might be even somebody I know right now. How did how did Spencer uh, make out after all this? Because even yourself talking about a broken family when you were four, um, how you took on being an overachiever. I mean, that's pretty heavy duty for a boy that remained conscious through it all. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you brought that up because Spencer was such a champion to me as a young man. He did become very introvert, very Mm -hmm. quiet. Um, he actually was diagnosed with having Asperger's at about, you know, about age nine. Uh-huh. Well, 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 Tanya and I, we, we, we married, and, and she was concerned about him, as was I. And I thought, well, he's shy and he's been through a lot. But he was actually, she, she took him in and saw doctors to make sure he was okay. And, and they had diagnosed him with a high-functioning form of autism called Asperger's. But he, he was very introvert. Um, he, he got way into music. He, he's a talented musician, but his adolescent years hit. And and Tanya was wonderful, and he was wonderful, and they got along okay, but they never really connected at a deep level. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they they did their best, but there was, you know, you, you don't... And Tanya was healthy and well enough to know that she don't replace a mom. No. You, just, you just don't replace a mom, and yet... He wanted to call her mom, and she loved that. And, and you know, they, they, they went through the motions, but they were going through motions, you know. Right. Um, in adolescence, Spencer got a little um, angry. It got a little dark. Uh-huh. You know, the, the music he was producing was very angry. Uh-huh. It was very dark. He, he finally came to me later in his later teens, and he was very angry. And he was very hurt, and, and yet he was what he what he was was very doubtful. He said to me, he said, "Dad, I don't even know if I can believe you. You've told me these beautiful stories, and 
And yet he actually started to cry, and he said, the problem I have is, he says, I've begged God for 12 years for anything, just to feel mom, just to have it. And he said, I got nothing. I got nothing. You know, so he said, either you're a delusional or you had too much morphine or, you know. So it's definitely not fair if you got it and he didn't. And I right. can understand the anger. Right. And, 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 and the bottom line of it, the most hurtful thing is he said, either it's those things or God doesn't care about me because I've begged and I got nothing. Right. And he kind of said, I'm done with all of that. I'm done hearing your belief, you know, and I, I, uh, it, it was, that was a dark time. It was very painful as a father to watch this little boy who had now grown into a young man and, and, and he was having a rough time and, you know, gosh, he was playing in bands and the bands were breaking up. I mean, friends of his were actually going to jail. It was, it was, it was, it was, um, it was devastating. And, and I'm screaming out to what I call God again, saying, help me, I've ruined the life of my little boy, and now he's a man, and he's on this dark path, what do I possibly do? And and it was an interesting answer. And I, I don't profess to talk to God all the time, but, but when I really open my heart, when I really want to commune, for whatever reason, I do get that whisper that comes back, and yet what the whisper told me is, how dare you judge his experience, because it doesn't look like yours. Let him have his experience. It isn't yours. It's his life. It's his experience. He created something different to teach his spirit what it wanted to learn. So stop judging it and just love him. Well, that's a hard um, thing to grasp sometimes because I, yeah. I, I'm not making you right or wrong, but just I agree. And we want to fix it for everybody. And we want to make it right. And if we take our own advice and what we believe that we are all on our different paths and they, some of them look different. Yeah. And, and, wow. you know, the, the miracle is that Spencer in his early twenties actually shifted a little bit. Mm-hmm. In fact, he shifted a lot and he'd done some soul searching and he did some extensive training, you know, self help stuff, but, but in a profound way, and, and actually, you know, in, in the same energy of saying, I don't even know if it's real, a, a couple of years later, you know, and he's been away to college and doing his thing, but, but we, we reconnected in a way, and he actually came to me in tears again, but this time he threw his arms around me, just like when I was in the wheelchair and he was a little boy, and he said, Dad, it's all real. Oh. And he said, there's no accidents. There's no accidents. What happened to us was in perfect order. And he said, now I know. And he said, I know mom's there. And I I don't know all the details of what happened to Mm -hmm. him, but he had an experience that let him know that it was okay and that mom wasn't really gone. And the most beautiful part, I was with Tanya during this exchange and, and he, you know, he hugged me and then he turned to her. And this, this was interesting because people with Asperger's don't like looking people in the eye, (laughs) Right. but he, he cupped her face so he could look her right in the eye. He wanted her to know. He looked her right in the eye, and he began to cry, and she began to cry. And he said, I love you. Oh, I love it. And he said, thank you, thank you for coming and being my mom and for seeing me through and for putting up all the crap, you know, that I put sure. you guys through. And, and, he, and he hugged her and he embraced her, and, and, and then they finally connected in a way that was spiritual and real. You know. something big happened in that man's life because he's yeah. a young man now in his 20s and to have that kind of 
profound impact and to do that. Yeah, and yeah. it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's interesting because you know I he now teaches me. I mean, one of his buddies who had gone to jail and was now having a hearing and an arraignment mm-hmm. of some kind. I, I don't know the details, but anyway, he he's in conversation said to me, "Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go down to court today. I'm I'm going to go to this hearing. I'm going to be there in support of my of my friend." And you know, as a father, I'm like, no, you're not. You are not going to go be associated with a known drug dealer, <laughs> on and on. You know, and 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 here's what he taught me. I mean, he turns and looks at me and he says, "Is that how it is, Dad? Somebody screws up and you walk away." That's he said, "No, no, no. I'm going to go and stand with him because I'm the only guy that can say I love you. It's going to be okay, and we're going to get through this." That's thought, very wow. profound. <laughs> yeah. I how thought, old is wow. he now? He's now 24, wow. 24 years old, and he's a beautiful, bright young man. He's madly in love. He's finishing up his his uh, college career. He's, he's a music major, but he's decided he's going to teach. He what? wants to teach. That's incredible. Music. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, and, and he actually wants to teach little kids. He, he says, you know what I really want to do? I think I want to teach in elementary school, and I'll bring the guitar, and I'll play songs, and we'll have songs about history and spelling and math and science. And and, and, and he said, well, actually, the, the, the selfish motivation is he said, if I teach in high school or junior high or college, I'm going to have all kinds of jazz band and marching band and orchestra. But he said, if I work with the little kids, I still get my summers and nights for gigs. <laughs> yeah, know? no, that's... I can still pursue my my rock star lifestyle, but sure. I'll have ins- I'll have insurance and a steady paycheck. Well, our self expression is important, you know. So yeah. it's a smart oh, yeah. decision. Can you tell us? Um, I I clicked on a website called atonenow.com. What's yeah. that all about, and how did that come to be? That that's a way for people to connect with me. Now, I had no intention of ever writing a book on this stuff. Right. It was so personal, and I didn't want people to think I was crazy. And, and quite honestly, it was sacred. It was something I wasn't inclined to share. Um, and in fact, I you know the 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 long and short of it is I was I was teaching a little Sunday school class years after the fact. I mean, this was twelve years after the accident, and. I had remarried. We had adopted two beautiful boys who are a joy and a blessing in my life now. Mm, sweet. Um, you know, life had moved on, but uh, but I still held this stuff very tightly, very dear. And, and, and in this little Sunday school class, I happened to share just a snippet of what had happened. And a woman in the back came up and said, there's more to your story. I said, oh, there is, but I don't talk about it. And she said, you've got to talk to a guy at the university. And he was studying these out-of-body or near-death experiences, mm-hmm. and she arranged for me to meet with him. And he said, will you please tell me, and we'll record it, and we study him. You know, we, we look at what's the commonalities, what's the differences, and, you know, religious people versus non-religious people. And, and, and I, I agreed to speak to him about it. And when we were finished, he said, you've got to come talk to our group. And I said, I don't talk about these things. And he said, you, you must come see our group and talk to them. And he twisted my arm to talk to a group um, here locally. It was it was a branch of the IONS group, which mm-hmm. is how I got connected to IONS. But I went and shared my story there, and oddly enough, there was a publisher in the audience, and they could contacted me and said, you've got to do a book. And I said, I, I, don't, I don't share this. I mean, I, I, it was enough for me to get up here and, and weep and share it with you guys, and they said, you've got to do a book. And so all these things were falling into place, and I finally went back to... I went back to the scene of the accident, 
I, I called my big brother and said, I know this sounds weird, but I've got to go back. And he said, well, I can tell you right where it was. It was a mile marker 80 wow. near Parowan, just, just, you know, two hours north of Las Vegas. And I went back. I went back to the scene, and I asked, you know, I asked the universe, God, whatever you want to call it. I said, am I really supposed to write this book and share it? And I got a profound answer that said, yes. Share your experience. In fact, I, I call it the voice that speaks to my heart. And I, I, like can quote what, I can quote what I was told. I was told, share your experience. And if you do, people will heal. And they'll get their own answers to whatever it is they're dealing with. And I, so then I knew. So I, I told the publisher, yes, I'll do the book. And I wrote the book. And I figured my mom might buy a copy. But what, what <laughs> happened is the, you know, the book released. And um, gosh, it jumped up into the top ten in its category on Amazon. Mm-hmm. and. And, and it, it started spreading, and, and, and then people wanted to contact me. They wanted to talk. They wanted to continue the conversation. They had lost someone, or they had heard of They'd had an experience on their own. And so the website, At One Now, was perpetuated through, I knew their hearts and the success of the book, for a way for people just to, just, just to contact me. It's a very simple site. I mean, you can write me an email. I'll, I'll answer it. A lot of people ask me to come speak at their events or to connect some way, and then I get these beautiful messages. I mean, one recently from a 17-year-old boy who said, my, my mom's clinically depressed, my dad's an addict, and I'm raising a younger sibling by myself. Um, but your book changed my life. And, and I remember that answer. People will heal. You know, they'll get their own answers. And so it's just a way for people to connect with me. And the success of the first book has led to a second book. The, the publisher came back and said, you've got to do another book. People want to know what happened. They want to know how you ever fell in love again. What caused you to adopt children? And what did that look like? And how did Spencer ever come around? And so where book one, I Knew Their Hearts, is about the near-death experience and the accident. Book two, which is called Beyond Mile Marker 80, you know, moving beyond that, it's about picking up the pieces. It's the life experience. It's the, okay, I've got to put off my pants now and go to work, and, and I've got to deal in life, and I'm going to have the ups and downs and the roller coasters of what happens, and how do I apply in any crazy way what I learned in that realm into this realm? And that's your ultimate message is to inspire people to do that. And you don't have to have a near-death experience to no. <laughs> embrace all of these lessons. Right, right. Wow. Right. In fact, you, and you don't have to have a terrible accident no. or, 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 or a bereavement to connect with the divine. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the bottom line is we truly are divine. We just have forgotten. You know, the, the, the point to me is to remember who you really are. And when you do, everything shifts. That's when heaven literally does come here. And, yeah. and you see things differently. You see others differently. You see the trees and the flowers and the clouds and the rain and everything differently. But, but the key is seeing yourself differently. Because even though I had had all those experiences, there was this big weeping hole. I had remarried, and I, I still was looking for validation. Oh, if, if only my new wife would love me enough to let me feel good about myself. If only my adopted sons would love me enough to let me feel good about myself, or if work would just validate me in a way, or what, you know, on and on and on, and it was a brutal, brutal cycle, and I cover that in book two, but 
it wasn't until, like I say, almost 12 years after the fact when I realized, oh, you mean the only one that can heal me is me? Exactly. You know, even if I've stood in the arms of God and he's shown me everything, it's up to me. Sure. I, I mean, physician heal thyself, again, exactly. a biblical phrase. Oh, you mean, and, and, and not from the outside in, but from the inside, inside out. out. Jeff, there's something yeah. so refreshing about knowing well, first of all, we all have that little voice in our head that's looking for validation, that's judgmental, that's filled mm-hmm. with fear. And there is just something so comforting to know um, when our bodies disappear and we bodies die, we don't. But that not only is it like walking into another room, but that you you have your feelings and you have your senses and they're heightened, and that that little voice isn't there, <laughs> and that yeah. you're filled with love and compassion and knowledge. And I've heard that from several of guests, like just so much knowledge, and that's how you understood the people you saw in the hospital. And not that there isn't a lesson about what we have to learn in this life, but just to know. Um, that there's some good stuff in in the next. Yeah. Really oh, good. And, and, and it's beautiful. And and it's interesting because we don't even have to leave the body to experience that. I, yeah. I want to make this point just before we break off, but, you know, I call it the ego. That mm-hmm. voice in my head is that ego mind, and it's yakking, yakking, yakking. In fact, I've even transferred that. You know, I mean, I, I you know, biblical verse. Well, to me now, that's the devil, you know, and, and it's not, a mean little black red man out there right. with a pointy tail who's going to trick me and, and it really is myself it's like that ego mind and, and, and I can even read biblical verse and now instead of saying get behind me Satan I say be quiet ego leave me alone and let me go to my heart let me go to that deeper place in me that already knows that already has the answers that already is unconditional love that already knows I'm divine that already knows that I'm perfect and I'm only here to learn mm-hmm. And and then I can operate from that space, and then it changes everything. And we have to be quiet, though, to be able to tap be into still. that. <laughs> yeah, be, be still and, be and still. quiet the be, mind. Be quiet present. Mind. Be, uh, you know, I like to say be 100% present no matter what it is you're doing or listening to or looking at. And the mind will want to pop up and say something, but just do our best. Well, Jeff, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for not only sharing your story with us, but um, it's amazing how we want to keep, and I think it's the ego, the little voice, we want to keep our stories private, how we may not think they're going to impact somebody else, um, and, and that you chose not to listen to the voice, you chose to listen to the people that encouraged you, because I know that you're making a profound difference in so many lives just by hearing your stories. People might not need to read your book, might not need to research life and after death anymore, but now they can feel comforted that love is real, um, their loved ones are not gone, and that each one of us, our lives are for a purpose. Um, it really a, a beautiful beautiful um, life story you shared with us and I thank you from the bottom of my heart well thank you Sandra and it's been a pleasure talking to you and we do have angels 
our loved ones are never far gone and we're simply here to learn and what we're learning is to love each other and take care of each other and I trust we will yes and I and I'm just thinking I you know I feel I don't feel it but I'm I can imagine just that sense of unconditional love and it gave me goosebumps when you were explaining that and what would it be like in our life each one of us to practice that like loving no matter what and that yeah. is also loving no matter what that person that you see in the mirror look deep into those eyes that you see in the mirror and just love no matter what and you know what I'm going to challenge everybody to do that today usually at the end Jeff I throw out something motivational or a little challenge Perfect. and how I about each one of us just spend oh I don't know maybe two minutes and just set your alarm clock and just look into the mirror no judgment here's the deal no judgment and you can only love and if that little voice pops up just say thank you for sharing and just go back into looking into those blue or green or um, brown eyes and just loving so you can take that or not but let's just see what happens by doing that so in closing again I want to um, thank Jeffrey Olson for being here his website is at onenow.com and as a reminder I have the website we don't die radio.com and on it you'll find this interview you'll find a picture of Jeff so you know what he looks like and there'll be a link to his website and for you the listener I thank you for being on your search I thank you for taking the time to play this uh, interview and listen and really put yourself in it you know this this is not about Sandra it's not about Jeff Olson it it's about you and your life and and don't get me wrong I get a ton out of this as well and you know I don't have a perfect life either but I really want you to see your life in this and that your life counts it's important yes there's someplace more glorious that we go well I don't even want to say more glorious but there's someplace glorious we go but while you're here let's learn some of the things from Jeff and and realize that there's so much choice choice to listen to the little voice in your head or not choice to look at your life and you can be a victim of what happened or maybe choose oh there's something powerful that I was to learn here and most importantly to choose love to look into those eyes in the mirror to look at the people in your life and everybody's on their own path not make them wrong and just simply love so this is Sandra Champlain I've been your host and I think that's all I want to say um, just remember who you are and that you can create heaven on earth and thanks for listening and we'll see you soon <music>